So it might not seem like it, but it's the middle of the day here in Beijing. The air is so polluted that it's darkened the sky. Most of the progress towards the environment and saving it and getting rid of carbon, etc., has been done on a local level. Some people with the goal well, of making energy both cheaper but also completely clean. And so, with the right innovation. Uh, clean energy is actually cheaper than dirty energy. Solar has gained 17 times the rate of our economy. There are 2.6 million jobs in our country in clean energy. The world's biggest energy agency believe the oil market will rebalance by the second half of this year, but there are still questions about price. Brent crude is down by more. We will unleash the power of American energy, including shale, oil, natural gas, and clean coal. What we're going to do, folks, is going to be so special. Hi, and welcome to this edition of Off the Charts, the podcast of the Energy Policy Institute at the University of Chicago, affectionately known as EPIC. I'm Jeff McMahon. I write about energy and environment for Forbes, and I teach writing at the university, and I'll be the guest host for this episode. Today, we're talking about energy efficiency, and specifically about some things we've learned from recent research on energy use in schools. American schools spend $8 billion per year on energy, according to the Environmental Protection Agency. That's their second largest expenditure. Only personnel costs are higher. So a lot of schools have been trying to cut back on energy costs by improving energy efficiency. Things like upgrading heating and air conditioning systems, and switching to more efficient kinds of lighting. Educators are betting that these efficiency efforts can lower their energy bills enough to pay for themselves, and perhaps to free up more money for the textbooks and equipment they need to teach children. At the same time, energy efficiency can reduce greenhouse gas emissions, helping schools and governments achieve their goals. But all this only works if the efficiency upgrades actually save energy as predicted. And new research shows that may not always be the case. With me to discuss this is Fiona Berlig, a postdoctoral scholar with EPIC. Fiona recently released a study showing that the expected savings from school energy efficiency upgrades are higher than the actual returns turn out to be. You can read about her efforts on uh, Epic's Forbes page, and we'll be digging in further here today. Fiona, welcome. Thanks for having me. So what led you to investigate energy efficiency in schools? Did you suspect there was a problem? So uh, in California, um, the California State Legislature passed Proposition uh, 39 in 2012, uh, which essentially closed a corporate tax loophole uh, and dedicated the money towards energy efficiency in schools. So in the first three fiscal years of the program, uh, about a billion dollars were devoted for energy efficiency upgrades in schools, which is around a third of what um, the state spends in general on energy efficiency. So this is a large financial investment uh, from the public sector into the educational setting, uh, specifically for energy efficiency. So given the amount of money and sort of political interest in what was going on in the state, uh, we were excited to dig into how well these upgrades were actually performing. Okay, so you were sort of watchdogging the performance after this new initiative 
directed all this money in this direction. Yeah, exactly. We thought that the uh, new sort of financial initiative was a good opportunity for us to try and take a look of, at what actually was happening with the money. Um, it turns out that in our study, we end up actually looking mostly at upgrades that happened before the money was released, but we think that our results are sort of informative uh, to the policy that happened under Proposition 39 and then things that are going on in the state currently as well. Okay, well, let's get right to those results. Um, how great was the gap between the expected savings and the actual returns? So we find on average that uh, energy efficiency uh, upgrades in schools delivered only around 24% of what engineers had predicted ex ante. Uh, that's across all upgrades and all the schools in our sample. Um, if we slice into uh heating and air conditioning or HVAC upgrades uh, or lighting upgrades, those seem to perform slightly better, but are still delivering savings less than 50% of what was predicted. Wow. So in terms of dollars. So if the school is expecting to save 100 kilowatt hours of electricity, uh, what they actually get out of that is a 24 kilowatt hour reduction. Got it. So this study was unique in that it used machine learning, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But first, let's get into the nuances of what you discovered about schools. So you looked at these different kinds of upgrades, like um, heating and, and ventilation and air conditioning and lighting, for example. And they performed differently relative to their um, predicted performance. You mentioned that. Why do you think some did better than others? Yeah, so I think that's a great question. Um, Basically, what we're looking at when we look across all of the upgrades in schools is we have a range of sort of large range of different upgrades. So that is anything from a sort of more efficient refrigerator in a school's kitchen all the way down to literally improving uh, from Microsoft Windows 97 to, you know, Windows XP uh, is supposed to save energy because that does a better job of managing the computer's energy system. So we're looking at a hugely diverse range of energy efficiency upgrades. Wow. Uh, and the comparison we're making is to what the engineers predicted would happen ex ante, right? So before the upgrade was actually installed, um, what are you sort of expected to see? Uh, and so there's a couple of reasons for differences across upgrade categories in those realized savings relative to the expected. Um, one is that uh, some upgrades just perform better than others. Some actually really deliver a lot of savings and some deliver a few savings. Then the second thing is that comparison group, right? So uh, if the engineers are, for example, substantially better at predicting how well an air conditioner will perform than they are at predicting how well a refrigerator will perform, we will estimate that that uh, comparison is, looks better, right? So what we're comparing is not just to what happened, not what we're not estimating only what happened overall. Uh, we're estimating a comparison relative to what the engineering model said should be happening. Right. And so in the cases when those engineering models are doing better, uh, we're going to see a better or a stronger correlation between those ex-ante models and what actually happens in the real world. Okay. So it sounds like en engineers have a better handle on what's going to happen with some kinds of efficiency upgrades than with others? Yeah, exactly. Now, again, the caveat there is even in the kinds where they seem to be doing the best, we're still only seeing less than half of what they right. predicted would happen. But yeah, we get closer to sort of half than a quarter uh, in some upgrade categories. And, you know, we've thought about this a little bit. And one of the reasons that we think that that's going on is that take a light bulb, for example, um, 
how uh, much efficiency a light bulb is going to deliver depends a lot less uh, on what's sort of going around, uh, going on around that light bulb than something else. So compare even a light bulb to a um, new air conditioner. For the light bulb, I just sort of need to know what your old light bulb looked like and some sense of how much your lighting is on. But for your air conditioning, I need to know what type of carpet you have. I need to know how big your room is. I need to know how tall the ceilings are. There's a number of factors that determine how well an air conditioner is going to perform. Um, and those are often really hard for both the regulator and the engineers to observe when they're making these modeling predictions. So they have to sort of make an average guess. Uh, and those guesses are better in some cases than in others. They actually did better with the air conditioners than they did with light bulbs, though, didn't they? Uh, they're pretty close, statistically close. indistinguishable from each other. Okay. Yeah. So is the same also true of schools, regardless of the kind of upgrade? Did some schools individually perform better than others? So that's a great question. Um, we try and look at uh, ways that we could potentially improve the targeting of the program by looking at whether bigger schools perform better or whether hotter schools or poorer schools, schools in poorer areas. Um, and unfortunately, we don't see a lot of evidence that there are demographic characteristics that would be easily observable to the state regulator or people in policy um, that substantially predict uh, better performance of these upgrades. So we do see some evidence that schools in sort of slightly further north and slightly further uh, east uh, parts of the state have slightly better upgrade performance, but beyond location, there's really not much that we can say clearly predicts uh, better performance uh, by these energy efficiency upgrades, which is something we were kind of surprised by. We thought right. that maybe it would be the case that, you know, big schools do really well, small schools just aren't seeing gains or vice versa, um, and we were sort of surprised that we didn't actually see much uh, heterogeneity in, in those effects. Any idea why those schools in the north and east did better? Um, that's a good question. We think maybe it has to do with temperature. So you're thinking, we're looking at the Pacific Gas and Electric Service Territory. And so the schools that are slightly further north and further east, you can think of as more towards the Central Valley, mm -hmm. which tend to be hotter and tend to be poorer as well. So, um, you know, it's hard to uh, pick out a single distinguishing char fact characteristic once you're sort of controlling for many things at the same time. Um, but being sort of further north and east suggests that you're likely to be a slightly poorer school district and you're likely to be in a slightly hotter place. Uh, so you focused on schools. Are there implications for other types of institutions or even for residential settings? So generalizing any study beyond its exact specifications is always something you want to be a little bit careful about. Um, but one thing that we're excited about in the school setting is that the majority of energy efficiency evaluations by economists recently, some of which have been conducted by previous EPIC researchers, um, have focused on the residential sector, which is large and important, but by no means sort of the majority of electricity consumption in the United States. Um, and so we are one of the first studies to bring energy efficiency research in this sort of model modern uh, applied economic set of techniques out of the residential sector and into something that is closer to commercial and industrial, uh, where we think that there might be a lot of gains going forward. Um, so to the extent that this uh, study corroborates um, some results from the residential sector, uh, we've also seen these previous residential studies showing that energy efficiency delivers less than was expected. Um, we think that this is sort of nice supporting evidence that across these two settings, um, we're finding similar things empirically. Uh, but we also are excited about the opportunity to start studying energy efficiency beyond the residential sector as well. Do you have a concern at all that um, because these studies are showing a lower performance for energy efficiency that uh, 
some people might use that as an excuse to be to act less efficiently or to not do the upgrades? So I think we need to be careful about how we use the results of any study for determining policy. But what I will say is that, um, you know, as a budget constrained policymaker, uh, you really want the money to be going to the right places that deliver the most energy savings for the least cost. And one thing that we think these uh, energy st efficiency studies, ours and others, are starting starting to consistently show um, is that uh, energy efficiency is a relatively costly way of saving energy in schools. And we might think from an economist perspective about something like pricing or some other type of signal uh, that would be a cheaper way of getting the same reductions that we would need for something like a climate goal. So you um, you were looking at the actual performance of these efficiency upgrades. Are there also implications for your work for making these predictions better? Uh, so what we have found is that these predictions don't seem to be performing terribly well. By splitting by uh, these HVAC and lighting upgrades compared to everything else that, and seeing better performance relative to the predictions, that's already telling us something that um, these cases where you know, there's been a lot more studies on these same types of appliances, for example, in the engineering literature. Uh, those seem to do slightly better than any random upgrade that you might consider. It suggests that there is something sort of being correctly done in some of these engineering models, and I think helps point ways forward to we really need more in lab and then also more in the field testing uh, of these appliances and of these upgrades that we're doing before we try and start deploying them at, at really large scale. Okay, so let's get into these modern economic techniques that you're talking about. Um, this, what was unique about this study is that it, it used machine learning methods to quantify the effectiveness of energy efficiency upgrades. And that's a specialty of yours, machine learning methods. Can you explain that process simply? I can try. <laughs> uh, so the basic idea is that... Um, if we just compared a school in San Francisco to a school in Fresno, uh, say the San Francisco school did an energy efficiency upgrade and the school in Fresno and the Central Valley didn't, um, and we just looked at how their energy consumption differed over time, uh, we'd be worried that we'd be wrapping up a whole bunch of other things that were different about those two schools uh, rather than just measuring the direct effect of the energy efficiency upgrade. Like what, for example? So, for example, San Francisco has a beautifully mild climate, right, and doesn't get really hot over the summer, whereas Fresno is baking all the time. And so if the Fresno school has a lot of air conditioning and the San Francisco school doesn't, uh, then comparing that Fresno school to the San Francisco school, you'll see the effect of that air conditioning when you're looking at that energy consumption rather than measuring directly this effect of an energy efficiency upgrade that might be going on in the background. Okay. So how does machine learning get you around that problem? Yeah. So what we'd like to do in a sort of an ideal world would be randomly assigned upgrades to some schools and not to others. Uh, and so then we would have a really good comparison group uh, uh, for the schools that did do these energy efficiency upgrades by comparing them to the schools that didn't. Because everything is randomized, we don't have to worry about any of these other confounding factors like temperature. Uh, in our case, the state didn't do a randomized experiment, which means we have to be a little clever and find some other ways of controlling for patterns in electricity consumption that might differ across schools. And so machine learning is a way to help us do that. We're in a unique and very exciting setting in that we have a huge amount of data from Pacific Gas and Electric, the utility serving these schools. Um, we observe energy consumption at every school in the service territory every 15 minutes. So this is really high frequency data, um, which allows us to sort of paint an extraordinarily rich picture of um, 
what electricity consumption looks like on a school by school basis. So essentially what we did is we, uh, for all the schools that did energy efficiency upgrades, we take only the data um, from before those upgrades occur and we use these machine learning techniques to make a uh, very detailed prediction model of what their electricity consumption should look like. And so the way that works, what's cool about machine learning is it's designed to predict uh, out of samples, so to predict uh, outcomes when there's it hasn't already seen the data underlying those outcomes. So a sort of easy way of explaining this is uh, suppose we have several months worth of electricity consumption data, this really high frequency data. What the machine learning algorithm is going to do is take, say, 10% of those days and hold them aside, keep them away from the model. Uh, using the remaining 90%, it's going to try and fit a model, like predict uh, what electricity consumption will be based on things like uh, hour of the day, day of the week, temperature outside, that type of stuff. Uh, and it's going to generate a model that it sort of thinks is fitting the data the best. And then we're going to bring that remaining 10% of the data back in and see how well the model does on those last 10% of the data. If the model fits well, we'll keep it and use it going forward. If the model doesn't fit well, we'll sort of rerun the entire process, uh, informing the new model uh, with the sort of issues with that fit in the remaining 10% of the data. So basically what we do is what's called cross-validation. You keep some data away uh, and you use the remaining data to train the model, we call it, uh, and then you fit that model on that test set, that left out data, you put it all back together and you say, did it actually perform well in the test setting? If yes, then this is saying that this machine learning model is well optimized to sort of predict what electricity consumption will look like uh, in a future period that it hasn't seen yet. If it doesn't do a good job, then that tells us something is going wrong in the underlying model and we need to keep going until we found a better, a better model. So you use sort of statistical uh, tools that have been come up with by computer scientists to generate these models. Um, and at the end of the day, what we end up with is for every school individually, we have a very rich prediction model of what electricity consumption sort of should look like based on some simple characteristics of uh, time of day, day of the week, hour of, uh, or sorry, month of the year, temperature, that kind of stuff. And so then what we can do is say, um, in this post-treatment period, so after you've installed an energy efficiency upgrade, uh, what will your electricity consumption look like? What does the model think your electricity consumption will look, what, sorry, what does the model think that your electricity consumption will look like? And the cool thing about doing that is the model has never seen the energy efficiency upgrade. The model has no way of knowing that an energy efficiency upgrade happened. So what it's gonna do is sort of keep predicting into the future, just like it was trained to do on the past data. And so that means that we can compare what actually happened in the real world to this model prediction, and that gives us some sense of how well the energy efficiency upgrade is actually performing. And what we see when we look at the data um, is that in schools that never did an energy efficiency upgrade, uh, our model predictions are spot on on average. So we find prediction errors that are very, very close to zero, statistically indistinguishable from zero, when we're predicting into the future for schools that never underwent upgrades. But for these schools that did undergo upgrades, uh, we find the model sort of predicts worse and worse, quote unquote, over time. In fact, it predicts less energy is being used, sorry, the model predicts more energy is being used than the real data suggest. And that gap is exactly due to the energy efficiency upgrades being installed. That was a lot, but I hopefully <laughs> it's like. <laughs> I th it was a lot, but I think that's the clearest explanation of these machine learning techniques that I've heard. Um, it's hard to it, do without pictures. <laughs> <laughs> and you, uh, so you found a way to isolate the 
the portion that's attributable to the energy efficiency upgrades. Exactly. Um, and you mentioned in, in that explanation that you're getting all this rich data from Pacific Gas and Electric Company. Is that because of some technological advances in uh, maybe smart metering or the smart grid? Yeah, exactly. So with the advent of smart meters, these are um, sort of a new electricity meter rather than having someone come to your house and manually read your analog meter that's sort of spinning over one click at a time. Uh, California and many states across the U.S. have installed these smart meters, which digitally send signals of your electricity usage and also are able to measure that usage much more frequently. So from our perspective, that means we go from having data once a month, excuse me, once a month when your meter reader is out at your house uh, to basically instantaneously. Actually, if you're a customer in many of these places, I should check if ComEd does this because they're my utility now, but with PG&E, at least you can go to their website and see over time your own electricity consumption, which is pretty cool. Yeah, Com Comet does do that. Okay. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm also a Comet customer, and I'm checking all the time, every time I use an appliance. <laughs> um, you're much more informed than most of us, myself included. So what were people doing before this method came along to quantify the savings, or were they not doing anything? Yeah, so there's a couple of different approaches that have been taken. So the previous uh, study I mentioned from Epic uses monthly billing data in conjunction with a randomized control trial. And so they don't have to worry about all of these confounding factors that we're dealing with with the machine learning because they have this nice randomized experiment. Uh, and they are another study that shows these energy efficiency upgrades are not performing nearly as well as was expected. Uh, other prior studies that tend to show that energy efficiency does better um, have done simple before and after comparisons. So that means take a given school and look at how much energy it used after it installed an upgrade and compare that to how much energy it was using before you installed the upgrade. The challenge with that is there might be a whole bunch of other things going on at the same time. So suppose a recession happens. You'll also be using a lot less energy, but it has nothing to do with the upgrade. It has to do with sort of everything else that's going on in the macro economy. Or a um, drought or a fire. Yeah, earthquake, exactly. Earthquake, <laughs> all the things that happen in California. Uh, and so there's various degrees of sophistication that you can use with these methods. So in the paper, um, we talk about using sort of slightly more sophisticated standard techniques where we do a before and after a comparison, but comparing schools that did upgrade to schools that didn't upgrade, which we call a difference in differences uh, check, which again is exactly trying to get at these, you know, overall the entire state you had a drought, maybe that changes the way that we consume electricity. Uh, and so it controls for those aggregate factors. Um, but if there are still time varying differences or unobserved differences in patterns of electricity consumption across schools, then even that method isn't sort of sufficient enough or sufficiently rich enough to capture uh, important differences between schools and you can end up with these treatment effects quote-unquote estimates that aren't really getting the right answer and so we actually show in the paper that when we use those standard methods we don't actually sort of um uh, the, the models that we uh, would normally use to tackle this problem don't actually do a good job. So we can show that in a couple of different ways, which are a little technical, so we can, we can edit it out if we need to. Um, but basically the idea is anytime you run one of these statistical models, you want to essentially stress test it in a couple of different ways. Uh, and so one standard way of stress testing the model is what's called a placebo exercise. So here what we do is we say, let's take only the schools that never installed energy efficiency upgrades with utility subsidy in our sample, um, and let's sort of uh, apply the model to them 
pretending that half of them are sort of quote unquote randomly treated, right? So we assign randomly a treatment date with no change in the underlying data. So there's no treatment effect actually going on here. But we say, suppose these guys were treated, what would the model say the treatment effect actually was? But there should be no change in their electricity consumption because it's only untreated schools. Uh, and so there's sort of nothing going on in the background. We can re then re-estimate the model and what we're hoping to see is a zero, right? Nothing happened, we should see that the model effect estimates a zero treatment effect. But actually when we do that, we find that the model is seeing sort of quote unquote treatment effects, reductions or increases in electricity consumption. And in particular, those uh, treatment effects, those sort of fake treatment effects are varying across hours of the day. So what that tells us, you get sort of fake savings in the nighttime and fake uh, increases in consumption in the afternoon where the, nothing has happened. This should be a zero. So that tells us that our model is not sufficiently capturing all of the things that are different across these schools um, in order to control for these confounding factors. There's still something else going on that's influencing the model that we don't want in there because it's not the effective energy efficiency upgrade. So that suggests that these standard techniques are maybe not particularly well suited uh, to this really rich big data context. We can do the same placebo exercise with the machine learning method. Uh, and when we do that, we find zeros across the board. We, the model is doing a good job uh, when it sort of should be in predicting that there are no treatment effects when no treatment effects are actually running around there. So tell us a little about how the study was received. The, were the people who were doing these standard model methods in the past surprised by the findings or, or do you think it was expected? So I think this is, you know, now uh, one of a series of studies that have sort of started to use modern uh, econometric methods and finding similar results. So I think there was maybe less shock and awe at this study than there was at the Weatherization Assistance Project study um, that I was mentioning earlier, earlier looking at residential, weather, uh, residential energy efficiency. Um, We've been in close contact with the regulator in California. They actually helped fund part of the study. Um, and in sort of preliminary presentations with them, they seem to sort of say, yeah, this is in line with where we've been thinking uh, this, this program is at and suggest that maybe we should change the way that we're uh, implementing these policies. So I think in general, the um, reception has actually been from our perspective positive and that we think that the people who are involved in making these choices uh, are actually sort of listening carefully to the academics and, and uh, interested in making change that follows the research. What about outside of California? Have you gotten reactions from other states, other school districts? Uh, we haven't seen a ton of stuff from other school districts. We've gotten some interest, uh, I think from Kentucky actually, uh, where a school district was interested in using our methods to try and look at how well their energy efficiency upgrades have performed. Um, and I think this is something that's exciting is in the context that we now have smart meters rolling out sort of across the country, um, our new methods are sort of able to be used by anyone with a little bit of statistical training and, and that sort of dramatically expands the opportunity for evaluating these and other types of energy efficiency programs because uh, now we don't necessarily need to go all the way into a randomized tri trial every time. That's clearly the gold standard and we should continue to do that uh, in many cases, um, but those can be expensive and here's an opportunity where you're already collecting all of the data that you need and you can apply these new methods in sort of a variety of new contexts. Okay, and after this initial study, what's next for you? And for is this project going to go on? Are you going to adapt it in different ways to 
you know, different settings? Yeah, so I'm actually working with a different team of researchers, uh, two graduate students at UC Berkeley, Louis Prionis and Matt Warman, um, to bring this energy efficiency research into a, another non-residential sector. Uh, in particular, we're thinking about agriculture in California. So it turns out that um, ag accounts for 20% of the state's electricity use, uh, and there's been very little work looking at agriculture, and 80% of uh, that 20% is in groundwater extraction, so uh, pumping water out of the ground. Um, and uh, there are several programs throughout the state that are involved in sort of subsidizing pump upgrades and pump efficiency improvements. And so we're excited to study how well those perform. Uh, and we get have are going to have similar sort of great data access, we think, with the utility. We've had sort of some preliminary conversations where they seem willing to work with us. Um, and so that will allow us to apply these techniques into a, a different setting as well. So it sounds like California is getting all the good stuff. <laughs> Maybe because of your Berkeley um, colleagues are located there. But it also sounds like this kind of work could be applied anywhere where there's where you're getting smart meter data, which is a lot of places these days, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. So we're actually here at Epic working with ComEd to sign similar data agreements to those we had in Berkeley with the California utilities uh, that will allow us to study energy efficiency and energy programs more broadly in the state of Illinois. And then we're also, uh, you know, hope, always hoping to expand sort of beyond this. There are definitely smart meters rolling out in New York, sort of slowly in Massachusetts, other places across the country as well. Well, thank you, Fiona. That's all the time we have for now. Make sure you subscribe to Off the Charts wherever you get your podcasts, including on Epic's website at epic.uchicago.edu. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Jeff McMahon.